Hi, friends. Welcome to the podcast Care Package to Japan, where we showcase God's love for Japan through stories of people. I am your host, Evangeline, and let's get started with today's episode. So today, our guest, her name is Sue. Sue has a very special story about how God has placed Japan on her heart, as well as doing ministry with Asian Access. So, Sue, thank you so much for chatting with me today. And thank you so much for, I know it's kind of early morning in Japan right now. So, thank you so much for waking up and taking the time to be on the podcast. Thanks so much, Vivi. I'm really happy to be here with you. Yeah. So, can you give the audience a brief intro to who you are?、Um, who is Sue? What do you enjoy doing? What are some of your hobbies? Anything you want to share with the world about who you are? Okay, sure.、Um, so, I'm living in Japan, and I'm sure we'll get into that. So, a lot of my life and hobbies kind of centers around our life and work here. I'm married. We have four kids. They are almost all three out of four of them are teenagers right now. So, that should speak for itself about our lives. Um, we adopted all four of our kids while we were here in Japan. We got them when they were little babies, and each one of them has an ama- amazing story of God bringing them into our family. And just our, we're able to experience more of who God is through each one of our kids, and that's been really great.、Um, I love. Um, I, we have pets here in Japan. We're kind of in the middle of a neighborhood, but we have a dog, a cockatiel, fish, and we have eight chickens now. So、um, they、you、also. Eight? Yes, eight chickens. We got them when they were babies, and we've been raising eggs, and our 12 year old is in charge of them. And that's been kind of our COVID project is learning how to raise chickens. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. yeah. And can you tell the guests where in Japan you're located? Sure. We are in the city called Ishinomaki. It's about an hour north of Sendai along the northeast coast. And it is one of the cities that was worst hit by the 2011 tsunami and earthquake. Yeah. And for the For the people that don't know kind of like Japan and city and countryside too well, like how would you describe the vibe of Ishinomaki? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because it's really different than any other place I've lived in Japan. And the first time I came here, it was just three months after the disaster. And Honestly, that whole weekend, I was like, oh, we could never live here. Like, partly because it was so messed up, honestly. But also, it just kind of has a blue collar feel that doesn't feel the same as Japan. And we actually we are living here now, obviously.、Um, and we're along, we're right in the area where the disaster was. And there are tons of fish factories and seafood factories. That dot the whole coastline. And that's the biggest industry of our area. And it was something I thought, oh, I don't know if I want to live there. Well, there's been so much wonderful blessings that has come from living here. And we love the people. And 
we're given um, fresh fish and octopus and seaweed by all of our neighbors when they get extra. So it's just been a whole different way of life than any place I've ever lived in my life before. Wow. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and you kind of hinted at it earlier that when you first um, arrived at Ishinomaki that you couldn't imagine living there. And now years later, um, I think almost 12, is that, it's been 12 years. So coming on 11, coming on 11. 11. Wow. So you've been there for almost 11, 11 years. Yes, we have. And, um, Wow. Would you, yeah. yeah, I'd love for you to dig a little bit into, like, tell us, um, I'd love to hear about why you first went to Ishinomaki and kind of the evolution of the story of how you and your husband decided to, like, it's like, yes, like, we're gonna, we're gonna stay here, we're gonna put our roots down in Ishinomaki. Um, how did all that happen? Sure. Yeah, um, Eric and I, the real short piece of the story, Eric and I met at Fuller Seminary and um, fell in love there and got married. And we came to Japan together uh, 20 years ago, I guess it was. And we first lived and worked for two years in Sendai, which is here in the Tohoku region. And we really loved it, had a really neat church community and good experiences doing ministry together. And then uh, we moved with um, another family and some other missionaries to Western Japan, uh, to an area outside of Kobe. And we did church planning there for about eight years. And that was kind of where our family grew from one little boy, Owen, to all four of our kids. And so we were in a in a really neat suburban community there and uh, did a lot of ministry with families. And it was um, it was like on a, an early Saturday in March when Eric and I went to a training. It was a one-day training in Kobe at a church for how the church in Japan could respond in case there was a big disaster. And we really felt God wanted us to go. So we got babysitters for our kids and went to that. And it was interesting because it was in Kobe, which is where they had had a big earthquake maybe 20 years before that. And so a church had sponsored that. Um, it was through an organization called Crash Japan. So we went to that training and it was interesting. We're like, okay, God, if you ever uh, need to, you can use us to do relief work. But um, we went back to our town and that next weekend, we had our annual Asian Access Mission Retreat in the mountains of Nagano. And so we were there in Nagano with our mission meeting on March 11th. And we experienced the worst earthquake we had ever felt in our lives. And that was six hours from the epicenter. Um, but it was super long, super crazy rocking. And we were with all the adults and we ran to get our kids because we thought, what is going on here? And all of the electricity went out and we began to get radio reports of the Tohoku earthquake. And then 
the reports of the tsunami that started to hit. And our, our first thoughts went to Sendai, where we had lived and where we had loved ones. And um, I was calling one of our dearest neighbors and she said, I'm driving away, but our house has been washed away. And anyway, it was, it was a terrifying time for all of us as we imagined what it was like for those who were actually experiencing the disaster. Um, that evening, as we began to get the news and the reports of how destructive it was, our mission had a meeting and we knew that, that God would call some of us to go. And the question was asked, who feels like God might be calling you to respond quickly? And Eric and I, we kind of looked at each other and raised our hands. and. Two days later, at the end of our retreat, we were having communion. And as I took the bread and the cup, I felt the pain of Jesus in the people who were suffering, for the people who were suffering. And I just began weeping. And it was an embarrassing kind of weeping. My husband was sitting next to me and he was very gracious holding my hand. But I, I felt the Lord's pain in that. And in that pain and in those tears, I felt God's really deep calling for whatever might be next. And we left the retreat and drove back to our home. And a couple of days later, Eric and two coworkers drove a two-ton truck up to the Sendai area filled with supplies that we had gathered from our neighbors. And that kind of began a one-year process of commuting back and forth. It was about a 12 hour drive from where we lived up to the area. And Eric over that next year came up about 16 times driving vans of relief and he would stay for a week or two and they would deliver supplies and mud out homes and help people and then he'd come back. and. In that process, I came up once, the time I mentioned, and I was like, oh, I don't think we could ever live here, and went back, and Eric and I continued to pray, both of us thinking, I don't know, like, it was just hard to imagine bringing four little kids up here. Um, and then several months later in September, within the same week as Eric and I were praying, we both began to feel God changing our hearts too. Uh, to God saying, I, I'm not commanding you to go, but I'm inviting you to come because I'm going to be working and doing some amazing things. And if you would like to join me, I welcome your presence. And it was just the strangest week because we both were experiencing this invitation separately, but at the same time. And when we came together and began praying together, it was almost like um, we couldn't say no, we didn't want to say no. And it became a very strong and urgent call on us to, to be part of what God is going to do here. Yeah, can you talk about just like emotionally what that was like for you, um, just as a mother to one, like witness a tra tragedy and two, um, making the decision of with your husband of like, we want to follow God's calling at the same time as a mother, like it is hard. It is hard to uproot um, 
you know, like my four kids from where they're all very, where they have friends, where they're in, enrolled in school to go to this place. And at that time, um, there were a lot of, you know, news about radiation and things like that. Um, can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, thank you. That was, um, that's really perceptive because that's exactly where my concerns were. Like, I was like, Eric and I can do anything. We can rough it, but uh, moving for kids, like you said, disrupting them from where they were um, growing deeper in our community as we had really hoped for and taking them into this place that would be very transitional, at least for quite for a season um, and, and dangerous. It, that was the biggest faith piece for me. And I remember during one of our times of just being like, God, but what about our kids? And I felt the Lord's promise to me that it wasn't up to me to take care of our kids, but that was God's job. And I couldn't imagine what schooling might be like. And there was there were no international schools nearby. And our oldest was gonna be needing some kind of junior high English something in a couple of years. And, and when I brought that to God, I was like, but what about the schools? And I felt the Lord again saying, Sue, I love them more than you, leave that to me. And um, each one of those, and then even telling our kids, um, we put a lot of prayer into the evening that we chose to tell them. And our oldest two both started crying. And um, they said, why can't you two go without us? Which of course we couldn't do. Um, but we encouraged them to pray. And I remember like a month or so after that, one night um, our daughter began praying in bed for the kids who she hadn't met yet, that God would be bringing them comfort and that God would use her in their lives. And wow, that was really neat. And then our son who didn't want to move, he took a trip with Eric, like a four day trip up um, to do relief work. And there were, that was still like the end of the summer and there were all these flies everywhere. And it was just, it was smelly and it was really hard. And he said to Eric, I'm going to go sit in the van because I hate the flies. And so Eric just let him go. And then a few minutes later, he came back and he said, I was just talking to God and I think I need to help here more. Anyway, the Lord just really worked in in their hearts and in preparing them to be part of this. And um, that was a real confirmation to both Eric and I of God, not just calling him and I, but calling our whole family to be part of his mission here. Wow, thank you so much for sharing that. That's That takes a lot of faith. Um, so I thank you for I just thank you for doing that and being willing to be transparent with your journey with us. Um, yeah. And how have you seen God kind of, um, I guess, like move within your own family as you take that step of faith, um, even in the past 11 years, because I'm sure a lot has has happened. And, and how would you describe the different seasons of of one like uprooting your family and now being more embedded or yeah like you could say like embedded in the Ishinomaki um 
community. How has that been like for for your faith and for your family? Yeah, that's a question I have to keep thinking about, and it's a that's a great question. Um, I remember reading in Jeremiah 29, like 29:11 is the great passage for I know the plans I have for you, plans for future and hope, but it goes on to talk about these exiles who were being forced to move to a new country that was where they weren't really welcomed well. And the advice that they're given in Jeremiah 29 is to plant gardens and grow your families and live among the people um, and that God promises his presence with them. And I remember that image was, I just, I sensed that God wanted us to do the same thing and to live among the people who are here and plant gardens. And we could never be one of them and wouldn't fool ourselves, but to seek to walk with them through the different steps of, um, of recovery and healing that we're going to need to happen. And so as we began to look for housing, we we were praying that God would show us where to live. And we were looking online before we moved and had people looking and there was just nothing available because um, over 50% of the city had been washed out or washed away to some extent. And so everybody needed housing. So we, we ended up the first year um, living in three different temporary homes. And our mission was really supporting us in this and they came alongside and said, we think we can build you a prefab house that comes by boat from the US for a lot cheaper and a lot faster than you can try to you know, come up with another house. And so we found land in one of the areas that was worst hit by the tsunami waters. And our mission helped us raise funds and we bought, our mission bought the land and we built two houses on that property. So over that first year, we were building that house, and um, that was that was kind of our our vision as we moved here. It really was to move in among people and become a part of their lives, and that has stayed really our mission. I I think there's times we haven't done it as well um, in different seasons with our kids' lives, and um, but I think that has stayed our desire is really to live in and among the community here. And our kind of Eric's and my verse for our our ministry model of just real incarnational ministry is the verse from John chapter one. And in the message version, it says, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And that's, we, we are so imperfect at doing this again, but, that still is what we want to do is um, have the privilege of moving with the presence of Jesus into a neighborhood. And so we've been in this home that Asian Access built for us for the last nine years. And it's right in the middle of a neighborhood that have been badly damaged. And we've just um, become friends with the people in our community and walk our dog in the community and have people over and they have been so kind and gracious to us as well. I think one word comes to mind as you are speaking and that is just gratefulness. Like I I see that 
on you and it's just so encouraging for me um, that you're grateful that God is giving you this opportunity to partner with him. You're grateful that you get to live among these beautiful people. Um, so I just really want to highlight that and honor that and thank you for that. Um, that's really, yeah, that's really beautiful, Sue. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about um, what it's because for people who don't know Tohokukuo, um, they might not know the context of, I guess, like globalization in in that region of Japan. And what I mean by that is when people think of Tokyo, they think of a very internationalized city, you know, like Tokyo is a place where um, a lot of foreigners come in and out. Um, but Tohoku, not so much. And and can you talk a little bit about um, just what that's like from the time of the tsunami till now? Um, what was that like initially? And has there been any any changes? And specifically with locals and their interaction with people who are from outside of Japan? Um, and let me know if my question makes sense. Yes, that that does make sense. And I think. Yeah, it was really the the longer we've been here and heard stories and you know talked to people before the tsunami, this area had very few foreigners. And the region that we're living in, um, in our town, I think we knew of just a couple churches, but none in this immediate area. And they were smaller churches um, without a lot of movement happening. Um, when the disaster happened, this area, because it's more blue collar, it didn't get a lot of the government funding that Sendai and some of the larger areas did. And in our training, one of the, the training just before the disaster happened, one of the things they talked about was um, that there will be pockets of area where the government goes and that's where the funding will go but that as the church, um, the church of Jesus, we can go to those areas outside where the people have great needs and uh, minister there really effectively. And so that was a lot why we ended up in Ishinomaki because it wasn't getting the government funding. It wasn't one of the wealthier uh, towns or areas. And there was just such great need here. But God used that need to send so many volunteers from around the world to this region. And um, people still talk about the, the many volunteers who came in and who did things that nobody else would want to do, like just pulling fish out of their, out of their um, entranceways and rebuilding their homes and getting out the mud and just all of the things that had to happen to rebuild. Um, my husband, when he was up here, the I think it was the first time they were driving through a neighborhood and um, they met a guy and he said, they said, you know, where can we take supplies? Because they knew tons of people needed supplies, but how do you distribute it well? And he said, oh, there's a lady who lives, Suzuki-san, who lives over by the coast there. And he, he told them the house and she kind of has been trying to help the neighborhood a lot. So they drove with the van and supplies over to Suzuki-san's house. And um, she she came out and she said, 
um, here are the Jesus people. And she had been praying that God would show up, not knowing God at all, but just praying for that. And then my husband and his friends showed up. And I think that so many Christians responded that, um, that Christians just became known as a group um, because there was no strings attached to what they were doing. And one of my Japanese friends, Yuko, she said that the temple near them, if they were, if anybody needed food like rice or water or supplies, they had to sign a paper and promise that they would pay back like like times 10, whatever that they were receiving. And she said, what we noticed right away is the Christians didn't do that. And um, I think it really helped. Tohoku is known as a spiritually difficult place to live and for reception to the gospel. But um, I think because of the love of Jesus through the Christian volunteers who came, um, it really changed the hearts of the local people toward Christians. So that's just one kind of short answer that I would I would say is that the volunteers made such a difference. Yeah, I'll have to second that just from my own personal experience. Um, it has just been amazing getting to know more people in Tohoku and seeing how God ha has like used something so terrible as as um, the 311 earthquake, yet using that as a door for for the gospel to plant seeds of the gospel in that region. Um, so yeah, I, I I completely I completely agree. Um, and I I um, see. So I'd love to hear about how personally your faith has grown and evolved and developed um, during the time that like since the time, I mean, I know it's 11 years, a really long time, um, but if you could think of like themes and chapters, like how would you de describe the various chapters, like from the time that you and your husband decided to uproot and to plant in Ishinomaki? Yeah, that's great. I think the first year, um, I would just think of the word chaos like it was it was one of the hardest years of my life honestly in having three different um, temporary homes and um, and trying to adjust and some of the inconveniences and hard things um, but in that God began to give me this vision that I didn't expect and when we moved up here, I knew that Eric would be involved in the relief work and he thrived. Like he has a heart for the down and outers. And um, and I, I thought this is gonna be his season for ministry that, um, and yeah, he was just able to love people so well, but I didn't have any vision for why God was calling me to come. And that first year, as I was really struggling um, internally with a lot of the changes and what's next, God began to work in me and give me this vision that I had never, ever expected, honestly. And we put our kids into the local school and the school had been really badly damaged by the tsunami waters. And 
Um, so buses would come and moms would walk the kids to the schoolyard, put the kids on the buses and the buses would take the kids to a temporary school up in the mountains for those first couple of years when they were fixing up the, the school. So I became friends with these moms and they helped me to get adjusted first. Like they, they, they had lost everything, but they were quick to really welcome me. I, I think they all wondered like, why is this crazy white woman moving to Ishinomaki, like they couldn't even fathom moving into that neighborhood. Um, but they were so gracious and kind to me and to our kids and um, really welcomed us. And while I was there, I began to realize that they they were bored out of their mind. They had, they were, most of them had lost their homes. They had lost family members. They didn't have cars. Their jobs had washed away. And so I began to ask God, could we provide jobs or anything for some of these women or a place for community to happen? And so we began, um, I put out the word, we began gathering women. And I had had one experience cleaning out a park one day and there were like big pieces of trucks and broken glass and dead fish and clothes. It was just disgusting. And we were trying to throw all that away so the kids could eventually play at this park again. But under all these pieces of rubbish, there were these beautiful broken pieces of pottery. And as we went through the town, anywhere you went, there was broken pottery that littered the ground where the tsunami had come into homes. And it took out with it all the Japanese dishes and left these broken pieces everywhere. Um, so God kind of put the need of my new mom friends with this resource that I was finding on the ground of broken pottery. And from those two things, he kind of created a dream in my heart to start something for the women using the broken pottery. And so we began putting the word out on the schoolyard and gathering women. And we, our kids went down the hill where there was um, tons of broken pottery and gathered up buckets of pottery and we, we would work late at night after we put the kids down, getting some tools and trying to figure out what can we do with this? And um, and then we gathered women and we, we worked together to try to cut the pottery and figure out how we could grind it to be able to make it into accessories or jewelry or something. And I didn't, I have never done jewelry before. I've never run a business, but God in his sense of humor decided to have me do those two things and um, start a jewelry business for as a means of providing hope and dignity for these women. And it was kind of in that first year of my own chaos and not knowing which end was up that God showed me that he loves to take what is weak and shine his grace through that to do amazing things. And in probably the worst year of my life, God started a project that is still going on today, 10 years later. Um, we call it Nozomi Project. And Nozomi is a women's name that means hope in Japanese. And it's been a place where God has been able to really provide hope and dignity for a lot of women in our community. And I can only look back and think only God could do that at, at a time when I was in the least possible good place for him to do that.
Oh my goodness, that story makes me want to cry. Thank you so much for sharing. And I didn't know I was talking to the person who started Nozomi Project. I've heard of it many times and I've seen the Instagram and I have friends who have gotten jewelry from there. It's such an honor. So thank you for sharing that. Sorry, I had no idea you started it, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, and you asked me for kind of the whole 10 years and I kind of got stuck on that first year, but um, that's, Really, that first year was such an important impetus for the rest of the story being here, um, for the journey God has had me on, at least, I think. But um, I think that the the next theme, like the first, that first year, it was kind of chaos. And then God saying, this is where I love to work. I love to work in chaos. And on so many levels, I could see that in my own life when my world was really disrupted in the lives of these women who had gone through such deeper and uh, yeah much more difficult challenges than what i was facing and and then even in the broken pottery that we were using and god doing something new out of that and the nozomi um, tagline is beauty and brokenness and i just have seen that played out over these years Um, not just at Nozomi every day where I go to work, but in my own life. And I feel like the theme that I keep coming back to, both as I seek to lead Nozomi and as a parent with teenagers, is that God wanting me to lean into my weakness and allowing Him to be my strength. And I, the last couple of weeks, there have been things both at Nozomi and in our own family that have been really difficult. And any time that I start to think, I can do this, God reminds me that I need His grace even more. And so I feel like the joy and the journey for me the last 10 years has been allowing God to come alongside my weakness and be my strength and to provide those things that I don't have and the things that I can't do. And I really think he chose me to start this because I could never claim to, oh yeah, I make jewelry and so I started this, or I'm a good business leader, but I'm I'm not those things. But God, God can take what is weak and provide out of that. Um, and he brought people alongside who could do what I couldn't do. And I mentioned to you that I have, I have connections at Rolling Hills and there were there was a woman named Lisa Nakim who was a friend of a friend who was at Rolling Hills and she's a jewelry designer. And through friends at Rolling Hills and Joe Hanley, I got connected with Lisa and she said, okay, I'll teach you how to make jewelry. And I'm like, no, Lisa, I can't learn, but these women can. And so, Lisa, God gave Lisa the vision to come over with a friend and they came for 10 days and taught our women how to make jewelry. And they were such an important piece of us getting started. And uh, Lisa is still a consultant. I was just writing to her yesterday about a new design idea, but she's been so instrumental. And there was a web designer named Sandra who came from San Diego and she helped us create our first website. And just God has uh, brought people at the right times, volunteers and sponsors and churches who would sell our products and stores around the world. And in so many ways, I just see how God 
supplies the things that we can't do and just wants us to continue to rely on him to do that. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. I literally was meditating on the verse 2 Corinthians 12, 9, which is my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And honestly, like at times, even now, like sometimes I just like don't understand how God's power is made perfect in my weakness. Um, so your story is just like really ministering to me personally um and yeah wow what a what a powerful testimony of god using your obedience and you allowing god to work through your your weakness um and and the broken potteries that's such a beautiful that's such a beautiful story yeah thank you yes yeah well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Our time is coming to a close, um, but but I do want to make a plug for Nozomi Project. So can you tell um, the audience who don't know where to, like if, if people are interested in getting jewelry or finding more about it, where should they go to find out more about Nozomi Project? Sure, thanks. Yeah, we have a website, nozomiproject.com, and nozomi is N-O-Z-O-M-I, but it will probably come up if you put in something similar, but nozomiproject.com, and we ship worldwide. That's been um, something we've figured out how to do even in the midst of COVID, so we can ship, and uh, we love to, yeah, we love to tell our story. We have our story is on the website as well. And there's pictures of the women. We have 12 local women who are working with us right now. And, um, and this, every, all of the proceeds go to support these women and other air. We always send at least 20% of our profits to help places in the world with great need. And this past season, we've been supporting a rescue center in Cambodia and are looking at how we can continue to partner in Cambodia with women who are also in great need there. So. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And before we end, and I ask all my guests this question, um, since you're in Japan, I'd love to know what is something that is Japanesey that you absolutely cannot live without. So it can be like a type of food, a phrase or saying, um, Shiba Inus or Daiso. So <laughs> anything that you can think of that is Japanesey that you cannot live without. Okay, so it's really cold here and there's a really cold wind that comes off the ocean so winters are hard for me but i love the heated toilet seats and i could not live without them. those are now. so good yeah yeah aren't they the best and i like i keep ours turned on until like june when my husband is like so it's too hot and then i turn it on like at the end of august because i'm just already ready for it to be heated so the heated toilet seat is just my favorite thing in the world in the winter. Yeah, I agree. And kotatsu is also my favorite too. Oh, <laughs> Do you guys have one of those at we, home? 
You know, we don't have one here in this house, but um, our kids were just saying, we should get one, we should get one. I was like, I know, but I feel like we would get so lazy because nobody ever <laughs> wants to stand up. If, you know, if you're eating around it, they don't want to go in the other room. So anyway, we haven't yet, but I do love them too. Yeah. Yeah, well, Sue, it's so good having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, yeah, thank you for inviting me. I'm really honored that you would ask for my story. Yeah, could, could you wrap us up in a prayer and specifically for people maybe who are um, going through a hard time and they don't see how God can use the broken pieces? And I love for you to just pray Um Pray a prayer of hope into that and also for Japan as well. Um, because I know that it is it is COVID has been a hard season for many people in various different areas for a lot of reasons. Um and yeah, could could you pray? Yes. Yeah. I would love to. Thank you. Thank you. Father, thank you that you are the God who sees and I think of those who are listening right now who might have places of despair in their hearts where they think nobody knows or nobody sees those things, but you do see and you love so deeply and you care so much and you are the God of all hope. And so I pray, Father, that you would bring the promises of your hope, the promises that are real. You are the promise keeper and I continue to see that lived out in my life and need to be reminded of that as well um, on this day, Lord, that uh, you you do work things for good, that you are a God who has a future and a hope for each one of us. Lord, I pray for the women and the families at Nozomi Project that we're working with. I pray for um, those who are in Tohoku who still have difficult reminders of the disaster that took so much. And I pray, Father, that the light of your love would continue to sweep through this region and sweep across Japan, that there would be many in this next season who realize how much they need to know you and, and need a savior. And that this would be a land that where you have been able to transform because God, you love to take what is broken. And we recognize there's a lot that's broken here as well. And you love to make it beautiful. And so we pray for this country, God, that you would do your amazing work uh, in and through those who you've called here, that you would raise up more Japanese Christians, that you would raise up leaders, that you would allow churches to extend arms and partner together for the work that you are doing here. We love you, God. We love being part of your plan. We love getting to love people on your behalf. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy the podcast today or if you enjoy this show, Feel free to leave a comment on iTunes or Spotify and please rate us. This helps other people find the show. And if you would like to be a guest on the show, please email carepackagetojapan at gmail.com. And we love to hear from you as well. And we just really appreciate all of your love and support. Thank you so much. Until next time. Bye.